right. Luke chapter 1. We're going to spend our time there this morning. Uh, a few years ago, one of my daughters, she was a very little girl, she unintentionally rewrote the song Jingle Bells. Uh, instead of singing, Oh, What Fun, she would sing, Oh, Mick Fun. And instead of singing, One Horse Open Sleigh, she would sing, Walmart Open Sleigh. So, <laughs> Oh, Mick Fun, it is to ride in a Walmart Open Sleigh. And, you know, that's a surprisingly accurate description of what Christmas has become. McFun and Walmart open sleighs. Uh, It's so true, and I don't need to convince you of this. It's entirely possible to go through this season utterly mindless to the reality of the story that is told. It's easy to get lost in the tradition and the decorations, and the gathering, and the pressure to buy the right gift, and and have the right get-together, and make the trip. It's so easy to get caught up in all of those things, and to walk through this season without really thinking deeply, intentionally about Jesus. What's more, we might prefer that sometimes, because there's a struggle inherent in Christmas every year, and that struggle is this. Everything looks good. Everyone seems happy. But on the inside, I'm less than all of that. When we carry in ourselves grief and disappointment, sin, struggles, Christmas can just be an endurance event. Just get me through it to the other side. I I don't want to, I'll paint on my happy face as long as I can and then just go on through it. But what if God has appointed this time, this very time, to do something new and powerful in your life? I mean, is there anyone in here that needs forgiveness? Is there anyone in here that would love a fresh start? Is there anyone in here that that needs renewal in their marriage or a broken relationship needs healed? Is there anyone whose body needs relief? Is there anyone here who just simply needs God? The answer is yes. And the good news is this. You don't have to search hard because he's the one who's found you today. Faith is a struggle for us at Christmas time. It can be a struggle for us. And the solution is for you and I to set our eyes on Jesus and to look intently at him. And we're going to study this morning about a man named Zechariah who went through this sort of struggle as well. Zechariah is a fascinating character in the whole story of Christmas uh, and the story of Christ's coming. Uh, He's a man who often gets overlooked, but he takes up a lot of real estate here in Luke chapter 1, and with good reason. In Zechariah, we find a reflection of ourselves. He's a man who loves the Lord, but still, even this good, holy man struggles with his faith in the story we're going to read today. But he doesn't struggle forever. Zechariah later comes to this realization of how big a deal it is that Christ has come And everything is changed for him. Zechariah's story is a story of transitions from unbelief to belief, from darkness to light, from silence to praise. And there we find a reflection of our own lives. So as we study Zechariah this morning, we're going to learn a couple of big things about faith. And my goal this morning is for you to understand the magnitude of Christ's coming and as a result, Trust Christ completely, whether that is trusting him for the first time for your salvation or trusting him again for forgiveness, strength, healing, whatever it is you're facing. So to do that, this morning I want to share with you from Zechariah's story two universal truths about faith. 
Two things that are always true about faith and our experience. We've got a long passage to read. We're going to start in verse 5 of chapter 1, and then we'll have to skip ahead to verse 57 here in a moment. But I just want you to enjoy the ride. Follow along with me as we read about Zechariah, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous." to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Skip ahead to verse 57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. 
The neighbors were all filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was on him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said to his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit. And he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. So in this Christmas season, on our Sundays, we're studying the songs of salvation. Last week, Mary had a song. This week, Zechariah gets a song. Next week, angels get a song. The week after that, a guy named Simeon gets a song. And Zechariah's song is such an incredible piece of literature. This whole story is just incredible. Here's Zechariah, a priest, a man who is blameless before God. That doesn't necessarily mean sinless. Just this guy, he walks with the Lord in sincerity. And here he is performing his priestly duties. One day in the temple, this highly esteemed position that he selected for. And the angel of the Lord appears to him. The angel says, Zechariah, God's up to something. And your wife's going to have a baby. And this baby's going to prepare the way of the Lord. It's going to be a joy and delight to God. Big things are happening. And, and Zechariah's response in the original language, it doesn't come through in the English so much, but in the original language, verse 18, Zechariah responds, <laughs> Right. Uh, Gabriel, I don't know if you know this, i got a lot of miles on the odometer. My wife too. So here's this good, godly, holy man who responds with disbelief. Now, you might read his response in verse 18 and think, what's the big deal? But the angel of the Lord knows Gabriel's heart, or excuse me, knows Zechariah's heart in this moment. He knows disbelief when he hears it. And so then the response is, you're going to be silent until all these things come to pass. Isn't it wild? Zechariah has two speaking parts in this story. The first time he speaks, he gets everything wrong. Second time he speaks, he gets everything right. The angel says, you're going to be silent until all these things come to pass. Can you imagine for 40 plus weeks, Zechariah remembers, the last words out of my mouth were words of disbelief to the angel of the Lord. 40 plus weeks, he sits on this reality. And then he meditates as well on the reality of all the things that are happening, are happening around him as Elizabeth's belly grows and the baby comes. It's no wonder that when his mouth is finally opened, he responds in praise. Now, in my unscholarly opinion, there's a correlation between Zechariah's silence 
and the reignition of the romantic fires that lead to Elizabeth's pregnancy. There may have been something pragmatic in the angel's pronouncement. I'm not certain, but it's a good guess. But in Zechariah, we see a picture of ourselves and his, and his journey from this act of disbelief to a word of incredible praise and trust in the Lord. So I want to share with you two universal truths about faith, things that resonate in our lives as well, things we see in this story. The first thing we learn in this story about faith is that faith has fractures, When I talk about faith, I'm talking about our trust in God. Faith, trust, same word. Our trust in God, that that trust that is evidenced through obedience to God, that trust that's evidenced through clinging to His word in the toughest of times, or even believing that word over our own way and our own wants. Faith has fractures. When we read through Zechariah's story, even this holy man struggles with belief. And there's multiple places in this story where he faces challenges in his belief. Let me highlight for you these four different obstacles that I see in this story to Zechariah's faith. The first obstacle, the first thing that creates a fracture would be our situation. Zechariah has a situation that's very serious. His wife is infertile. That's a big deal in the first century when so much of respect and honor in that society revolves around having family, having a son, and when you are unable, we we know this through other studies in Scripture, when you're unable to to have that child, it's a big deal. It's a source of shame. It's a source of grief. It's a source of sorrow. I wonder if maybe Zechariah's circumstances made it hard for him to believe what the angel says to him. Your wife Elizabeth is going to have a baby. She hasn't had one yet, and we are... We are out of time. There's no way this can happen. I think we all know what it's like to have our circumstances seem large and God's promises to seem small. When you've got a problem on one hand and a promise from God on the other, it's not always a guarantee in our experience that that promise is going to be as big as we need it to be. I can think of times in my life But the problems have seemed much bigger than the promises of God. Deuteronomy 31.6, God says, I'm I'm with you always. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Well, I've I've faced problems where that promise felt weak. I felt problems where, where I thought, man, this situation's bigger than the word of God to me. God says he'll never leave me or forsake me, and yet here I am in the midst of this muck How can I make sense of this other than to say God is not here. He has left me. He has forsaken me. When I feel this way, what am I supposed to do with this spoken word? Our situations that we face are often a tremendous obstacle to believing the good, life-giving word of God. There's another obstacle Zechariah faces and we face in this story. It's our own reasoning. So we struggle with our situation, we struggle with our own reasoning. When Zechariah hears the angel's message, right, his response in verse 18 is, look, I'm an old man with an old wife. This does not compute. This, doesn't, this is not how things work, Gabriel. So Zechariah has a reality that he's lived in for so long. 
And in his mind, that's the way reality is going to be until he no longer walks on this little blue marble. And so his own reasoning says, well, one, my wife can't get pregnant. That's not going to happen. Two, this is a crazy way for redemption and salvation to take place. And, you know, I, I read this story. and I put myself in the place of Zechariah, and I think, man, if I was Zechariah, and I'm in the temple, and all of a sudden, boom, there's the angel. There's no way I'm going to not believe that angel. Whatever that angel says to me, I'm gonna, that's right. My old wife's going to have a baby. That's right. Salvation's coming in this wonky way. That's, I believe everything you That's what I would say, right? No, not a bit, because here's the deal. Every night, I, I have an audience with that angel. And I get to witness also God's encounter with Moses. I, I get to witness God's encounters with Gideon. I get to witness God's encounters with Abraham. I get to witness God's encounter with Saul on the road to Damascus. I've got all of this, and still I struggle to make sense of life. Faith still is difficult. Though I've got this word from the Lord, this perfect, beautiful word from the Lord that is living and true today, still you and I struggle with our reasoning. It's not that God wants you and I to jettison our reasoning. He's not calling us to a blind or an ignorant faith. But one of the largest obstacles we face is our struggle to release our sense of the way things should be and rather trust in the way God has ordained it. We struggle with our situations, our reasoning. Here's another struggle in this story, something common to us. We struggle with our culture. So you fast forward, 40 plus weeks, Zechariah has been silent, Elizabeth belly grows, the baby is born, it's time to Name the child. This is a community event. This is a big deal. Eight days after the baby's born, we're going to the temple. He'll be circumcised. He'll receive this covenant symbol. It's a big deal. And he'll be given his name. And tradition, the culture says, the way we always do it is you get a name from within your family. And this is the way it's always been. So the culture says his name should be after his father, Zechariah. And what does his very strong mother say? His name's John. And they tell her information that she already knows. There's no one in your family <laughs> named John. It's been this way since all the way back to Abijah. It's been this way. You name the boy a family name. No one in your world is named John. But the angel has said his name's going to be John. God has ordained this name, picked this name. And it can be easy for you and I to feel outnumbered, to be outnumbered, and even to be swayed away from the way of faith towards the way of popular opinion. But here's good news. God's way does not depend on popular opinion. And if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to find yourself frequently going against the opinions of others. This can especially be true and difficult for those of you who are on a journey to faith in Jesus, you're not a follower of Jesus today, but you're intrigued and you're interested and you're studying and you're trying to learn and understand what this is all about. And it could be that at the same time you are studying these things and thinking about these things, you have people in your life who love you very much who think you have lost your mind. And so for you to say yes to Jesus... 
may require you to disappoint some very important people in your life, maybe even several people in your life. If you're already a Christian, you're going to find yourself on the opposite side of the opinions of others all the time because the Lord sets the boundaries for us in all these areas of living. So on issues of personal purity, parenting, uh, marriage, sexuality, uh, spending, a thousand other issues. You may find yourself in the minority. Elizabeth and Zechariah were in the minority on this day, but numbers don't matter when you have a word from the Lord. It can be a struggle still. Our culture faces a, a, is a daunting challenge for us. One last challenge I think Zechariah faces in the story is his own pride. You and I, we struggle with our pride when it comes to our faith in God because this baby is supposed to bear Zechariah's name. That's a big deal. It's an ownership issue. This is my child, Zechariah Jr. Who's John? That wouldn't make any... Culturally, there's just a huge disconnect there. So there's a pride issue in Zechariah. Finally, he has the baby that he and Elizabeth have wanted for so long. Who owns that child? Who has a claim to that child? What's he going to do with this child? His pride poses a difficulty. Same as... Same is true for us. Our little plans for our little kingdoms are going to be a constant obstacle to our faith in God. So faith in God faces serious obstacles. It's easy to feel like you're the only one. It's easy to feel like you're alone in some of your struggles, some of the fractures in your relationship with Christ. But I want you to remember what verse 6 tells us about Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah in particular, he's upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. Even a holy man struggled with faith. And so let's not feel so alone or isolated or unique when we also struggle in this way. We can acknowledge it, we can own it, and we can recognize we need help in the good news in Zechariah's story is that help comes from the only place it can truly come from. God does not leave us alone in our fractured faith. He does not tell you to work harder, to do better, to fix it on your own and then come find him. He's the one that comes to the rescue. Two universal truths about faith. One is faith has fractures. The second is this, faith requires focus. When we have a fractured faith, a broken faith, the answer is a focus on Jesus Christ. So the second half of the story uh, unfolds with, with the great tension in this narrative. The tension peaks when it comes time to name the baby. What's the child going to be named? Now, one thing I love in this story, I think that we often overlook, I don't think Zechariah is, is mere, I don't think he's just lost his ability to speak. I think also he's lost his ability to hear. If you look at verse 62, when it's time to name the baby, the crowd that's there that day, it says they made signs to his father, to Zechariah, to find out what he would like to name the child. They wouldn't have to make signs to Zechariah if Zechariah could hear. They would just say, Zechariah, what's the baby's name? And then he would write it down. So I think when he lost the ability to speak, he lost the ability to hear also. Think about that. Again, the last words he speaks are words of disbelief. The last words he hears are God telling him, Zechariah, I'm going to do this whether you believe it or not. This thing is going to happen. I don't need your permission 
or your understanding for my perfect will to unfold. So we come to this climax tension moment. What's the baby going to be named? He writes down on this little tablet, his name is John. His, his faith, Zechariah's faith, is evidenced by his obedience to the angel. And immediately, his mouth is opened, his ears are opened. He erupts in praise. For 40 plus weeks, he's been sitting on this, learning, meditating. And here is the moment now, finally, he's got something to say. And it's going to be all about God and what God has done. It's an incredible moment. Zechariah's song, which starts in verse 68, is phenomenal. And it's phenomenal because it wasn't completely written by Zechariah. He doesn't just sit down and come up with the lines to this song on his own. Here's what Zechariah does. He goes to the Old Testament. It wasn't so old then, just Testament, right? He goes to the Old Testament, and he picks out all this imagery. He puts it in his music box, and he shakes it up, and he throws it out, and here's this song. And what he wants to do with this song, this man who once struggled with faith, wants those who hear it to understand how big, how magnificent it is that Christ has come. He's not born yet. Mary's still pregnant with the child. But he wants everyone to understand the magnitude of this arrival, what it really means for this baby to be born. And so I want you to understand the magnitude of it also. That's what Zechariah wants for us. And I want to just highlight for you real quick some of the imagery in this song, Old Testament imagery that helps us understand what a big deal it is that Christ is born. How big of a deal is it that Christ has come? First of all, it's Exodus big. Look at verse 68. He says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. Now, you and I, in our historical context, in our religious context, that word redeemed means something to us, but it doesn't mean exactly the same thing to us that it meant to Zechariah. For Zechariah, that word is rooted in God's actions on behalf of his people when they were enslaved in Egypt. The one word you would use to describe God's rescue of Israel from slavery in Egypt is the word redeemed. In fact, that's the word God used himself in the book of Exodus, chapter 6, verse 6. God tells Moses to tell his people, I will free you from being slaves to the Egyptians, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will redeem you. You're slaves to, uh, to Pharaoh. I will purchase you. I will rescue you on my own. I'll redeem you for myself. So Zechariah's use of the word redeemed in verse 68 is not a coincidence. It's a word that's rooted in a historical context. He's telling us that the coming of Christ is like the old exodus in which God set his people free. However, this is a new kind of exodus. Mary's baby is God who has come to us and he is redeeming his people in this new exodus. That's the first image he gives us. How big of a deal is it that Christ has come? It's Exodus big. Second, it's David big. That's how big of a deal this is. In verse 69, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Next, Zechariah invokes the name of David. It's well known in Jewish life that the Messiah would come from David's lineage. 
So Zechariah in his song is saying that Mary's baby is the horn of salvation that God has raised up from the lineage of David for his people. This is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. Now that word horn, he's raised up a horn of salvation. That's not a a common idiom that you and I use, but in Zechariah's time, it was a well-known figure of speech, well-known poetic language. And the word horn always signifies strength, strength like an ox's horns. Sometimes that word horn is used to describe a person. And when it's used to describe a person, the the right way of understanding it is a strong king or a mighty king. So when he tells us that God has raised up a horn of salvation, he's telling us, Zechariah's telling us that God's raised up a mighty king for us in the house of his servant David. Well, why doesn't he just say mighty king? Because he's a songwriter. That's why. This is what songwriters do. He calls on poetic language and the language of his people to communicate these things that are beyond language to communicate. Psalm 132 holds this promise to God's people. God says, Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but his head will be adorned with a radiant crown. God's raising up this mighty king through David's line. And what kind of salvation is he going to bring? Verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Again, that's not the kind of language that gets a lot of play during our Christmas observances. But can we just acknowledge that the coming of the king means the defeat of his enemies? And for so many of you this season is warped by enemies of many kinds. Sin, grief, we've mentioned some of them at the beginning. Here's hope and encouragement for you. What kind of king is Jesus? He's the king that sets it right. When you wonder why do the wicked prosper while the righteous suffer, he's the one that reassures you they do not prosper. They have a shelf life. Judgment has come in the person of Jesus and those who walk with him. They experience this beautiful salvation. So Zechariah told us Mary's baby is the victorious king of salvation, promised to David and Israel so long ago. How big a deal is it that Christ has come? Exodus big, David big, Abraham big. Verse 72, God's done this to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. Didn't we just talk about Abraham last week? Of course we did. Mary, in her song, invokes the name of Abraham and the promise God made to him. Zechariah does the same thing, that all the way back in the book of Genesis, when God made his promise to Abraham, the answer to that promise, the fulfillment of that promise, is in the baby that Mary is carrying. Mary's baby is the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. How big a deal is it that the Christ has come? Well, it's Exodus big, and it's David big, and it's Abraham big. It's also New Covenant big. Look at verse 74. He's come to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So in Zechariah's song, he describes a new community of faith, a new humanity under the reign of King Jesus. He's come and he's put down the enemies and he's raising up his people so that we can serve him without fear. And Zechariah knows what it's like 
to stand in fear in the presence of God. When Gabriel, the angel of the Lord, just an angel, appears to Zechariah on that day in the temple, he's scared out of his mind. He thinks he's dead meat. And you would too if an angel of the Lord showed up in your house tonight. He knows what it is to be afraid in the presence of God. But he says he's come so that we can serve him without fear. Verse 75, in holiness and righteousness all our days. We don't have to strive for this. We don't have to worry about it. We don't have to live in fear of God that we've messed up and he hasn't saved us really. And then he adds this very personal flavor to the song in verse 46, or 76. You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You'll go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. So Mary's baby brings new life through a new covenant announced by a new prophet. This is a big deal. How big a deal is it? Exodus big. It's David big. It's Abraham big. It's new covenant big. Finally, it's as big as the sun. S-U-N. It is as big as the sun. Verse 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Zechariah ends his song by saying that God's actions towards us are like the sun giving light to the people. Now the people in the front rows of this wedge over here understand better what Zechariah is talking about than everyone else. They're sitting in in the surface of the sun as we speak right now. You have the beauty of the shade. Zechariah says the sun has risen on us. We're we're living in darkness. He rightly uh, diagnoses our spiritual condition. That apart from Christ, we live in darkness. And what kind of darkness? He, He calls it the shadow of death. But the coming of Christ is like the rising of the sun that gives light and gives life and leads us into the path of peace. That's what's going on with Mary's baby. Mary's baby is the S-U-N sun that gives light and life and peace. How big a deal is it that Christ has come to us? What is the magnitude of the coming of God the Son to his people? It is Exodus plus David plus Abraham plus New Covenant plus the Son. It's that big. Mary's baby is God who has come to us and he is redeeming his people in this new Exodus. He is the victorious king of salvation promised to David and Israel and Abraham so long ago. He brings new life through a new covenant announced by his new prophet and he alone is the son who gives light and life and peace and his name is Jesus. That's a big deal. We cannot adequately fathom the magnitude of God the Son taking on flesh and dwelling among us. So what happens when people of fractured faith set their gaze on the magnificent King of glory who has brought salvation? Lives change. There's forgiveness and mercy to be found. There's life and peace. Salvation comes to those who put their faith in Jesus. 
Sometimes we use a muscle metaphor to describe how faith works. I've heard it preached a lot. People will say, uh, you know, faith is like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. I understand what's being said there. I just disagree with it. I don't think faith is like a muscle. Faith is more like vision. It needs focus. It doesn't matter how big your faith is. If your faith isn't focused on the right thing, it's going to fail. If I've got big faith in an airplane with one wing, that's going to be a problem. If I have this weak, tiny little faith in the God of infinite magnitude who has come to me in the person of Jesus, that's going to work. Faith requires focus for us to look on the Christ who came and to trust in him, in him entirely. Zechariah explodes in these words of praise. He talks about God's salvation, the incredible thing God has done. But you know what Zechariah doesn't know about whenever he sings his song? He doesn't know about Easter yet. What would have happened to Zechariah had he known how salvation would be won through the death of Mary's child? And three days later, his resurrection. I think Zechariah's head would have exploded. I think he could not have contained his awe at how incredible a story it is that God has worked salvation for us. And that's what's true. Jesus is God in the flesh. Unlimited God became limited man. He lives in this mystery, 100% God, 100% man. He lives his life perfectly because he's God. That's what God does. Jesus is not the man who's chosen by God. or He's not the man who became God. He's eternal preexistent God who had to use doors and ride donkeys and had B.O. and dirty feet and he had to eat food and drink water and obey his parents. And then he's nailed to a cross by his own creation and he's spit upon and he's mocked. And he dies. The magnificent God of salvation, Jesus Christ, died in your place, took your darkness so that you could live in his light. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And since he rose from the dead, that means Zechariah's song is true and trustworthy. We can believe what he said about salvation and the one who's brought it to us. So we've just looked at two little tiny truths this morning with infinite power in them. It's true that faith has fractures, but God comes to rescue you, to help you, to save you utterly. In 1990, NASA was so proud to launch the Hubble telescope into space. They get it into orbit, set it in its place, flip the switch, take a picture. They're awed at the picture they get back, but you might remember it was a bit fuzzier than what they wanted it to be. When they began to study, they realized, hey, we messed up on the main mirror. We launched this bajillion dollar thing into orbit and it's flawed. And it was three whole years before a shuttle crew was able to get back to Hubble to take out the main mirror, replace it with the corrected main mirror, and then the pictures they got were just out of this world and still remain that way today. It's amazing. Focus fixed the problem. That's what will fix our problem if we're just coasting through mindlessly, soullessly, faithlessly today. 
So where are you on the Zechariah continuum from unbelief to belief? Where do you exist there today if you had to diagnose yourself? Maybe you're at the place where obstacles seem to be too great to faith. It's too hard for you to trust in God, to believe that you need a Savior and that He's the one to save you. And I hope you'll continue to consider the words of Jesus and the words of others about Jesus as well. I hope you'll continue your journey with us in this Christmas season. Maybe you're ready to say yes to Jesus, and that can happen today. Today, your whole life can change. Maybe you didn't expect that, but your eternity can change today because this is the moment where all of your experiences cross roads with the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you're ready to say, yeah, I I want Jesus as my Savior. I'm giving all I am to Him. That can happen today before you leave this room. After we sing a song of response here in a bit, our prayer team will be over here on your right and they will be so happy to talk to you about salvation you can grab one of the pastors you might be here with a trusted christian friend i know they could talk to you about the very same thing and help you understand what it means to follow jesus maybe you're already a believer and i I think for believers of all stripes we vacillate back and forth on zachariah's continuing sundays our faith is focused like a laser on jesus other days the obstacles seem to win and we live in the the haze of disbelief and hurt Let's remember the lesson of Zechariah. God's the one who brings the fix. We don't have to work harder, try better, do more, fix it ourselves. We simply need to look to Jesus who gives light and life and peace, tender mercy, forgiveness, and salvation to all those who call on him. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for Zechariah's 40 weeks of silence in his moment of praise by which we learn so much about ourselves and so much about you. Lord, let us not think little about the coming of Christ. Help us to believe what the prophet said so long ago, what was promised to Abraham, what was promised to David, what your people longed for, and what we now, at this moment in history, have such a great understanding of. Help us to believe that your love has been seen in this way, that you sent your son to die in our place, and that if we believe in him, we will not perish, but we'll have everlasting life. Uh, So, Father, this morning I pray for friends in here that are on a journey towards faith, that you would encourage them, help them to hear your voice, to believe your word, God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the faith that go through all kinds of struggles and difficulties, who even today carry hurts and challenges. Lord, let us lift our eyes to the Savior who has come, the one who has set everything right through his death and resurrection. Father, remind us and help us to believe of the magnitude of Christ's coming that outweighs and overpowers every difficulty, every sorrow, every tear, and sets us on a path of hope. God, let us walk out of this room today like people who belong to the God who came to us, the Son who has shown the light of life to a people living in the shadow of death. Thank you for this kind of salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.